Hello, I'm George Cup. And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. with Cup and Gurr, a show that proves that different political opinions do not have to end in feuds and the breakdown of friendships. My name is George Cup, and I'll be joined by my co-host and political opposite, Callum Gurr. Good evening, everybody. That's right, George is a hardline Brexiteer and true blue conservative, whereas I'm a Lib Dem and Ramona. But despite these different standpoints, we are still good friends. Tonight, we'll be asking the questions, should the government have bailed out Thomas Cook? Who should win the 2020 Democrats nomination for US president? And finally, are you aiming to go on holiday in 2020? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week, we asked you to send in your opinions on the following question. What would you do if you won £30 million? Well, as always, you guys have been sending in lots and lots of opinions. And our first one comes in from Gabriel. And they say, I've thought about this question a lot, as I'm sure a lot of people have as well. I think that I would section off £1 million for me to spend however I wanted to, just to buy things and, you know, live my life, and then save the rest of the money for either big purchases like a house and a car, and also to invest so that I can get even more money to spend on other things. That seems like the most reasonable way to use that money. Well, Callum, do you agree? Is that a reasonable way to use that money? Well, I'd say that uh, one million to just spend on whatever you want, it, it still seems like quite a lot uh, to <laughs> me, especially when that doesn't include uh, a house and a car in, in Gabriel's response. But I mean, yeah, I mean, it does seem like a fairly logical way um, to spend the money. You know, de- definitely, I think if you're going to win 30 million pounds or, or a, a big sum of money, you're, of course, going to if you're not already on the housing ladder, I think you're going to get yourself on the housing ladder. I think as a as a young person, because that seems like such a pipe dream at times, <laughs> um, th- that's definitely one of the f- the first thoughts that that comes along. Certainly, um, in all the discussions I've had about around this question, one of the first things when you speak to younger people is, I would buy a house. Whereas if you speak to older people, it's more like, 
you know, a, a new car potentially or houses for their kids and, and things like that. So you can kind of see that that generational divide in there. What, what about you, Josh? Did you think this is a, a good way of, of spending the money, as Gabriel said? Yeah, I definitely think so. I mean, I, I don't think a million pounds is, is too much to set aside to spend on uh, lovely little things for yourself. I think why not make it five million? Um, <laughs> I, Classic and, Tory, eh? Oh, absolutely. Um, <laughs> and... I, I would also uh, definitely uh, vouch for uh, Gabriel saying that you're to buy a house and everything. And I think you raise a really interesting point that it depends what generation you ask about what's the most important thing to someone in terms of monetary value. And a lot of the times for our generation, it is buying a house. So absolutely, I would look to uh, buy a house, lovely mansion and a swimming pool. But yeah, we can all dream. <laughs> um, moving on to our next opinion from Alicia. Uh, and it says, if you think about it, Except from big payments like buying a house or a car, that 30 million could last the rest of your life. If you cornered off 1 million for a house and car and then gave yourself a spending allowance of 500K a year, including all the costs associated with the car, house and holidays, food, etc., then that 30 million could last you 58 years. If I got that money now, it would last me until I was 74 years old and I wouldn't ever need to get a job. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, I think I would just use that money to help fund the rest of my life so I'd never need to work and could just have a really great relaxing life. So, George, what do you think of that um, question? Particularly, one thing I pick up on is is the notion of not working again. I know a lot of people say that even if they won the lottery, as, as this would be, they they would still work. I mean, what do you think of that and what do you think of the opinion more broadly? Well, firstly, the opinion, I think it's... Uh... I love how, how much um, you've really delved into how you would um, work out spending 30 million pounds and actually yeah. know, <laughs> having your, your plan absolutely set in cement. I think it's actually really good. And I mean, maybe you never know, you might win the 30 million pounds and you could, that, can put that plan into place. Um, I mean, I personally, I could don't think I could actually not work. I definitely think I'd have to do something because I would feel like I wouldn't have a routine in my life. I feel like I would probably get quite bored as well. I mean, yes, maybe I'll take a couple of years out and go traveling or whatever, but I definitely would still try and come back and work or even if it's to go and, and work for a charity and, and, and do it volunteering because I know I can afford to do it. Um, I, but I would definitely still need that uh, oomph to get up out of bed and, and go and meet new people and, and have that working environment. But what, what about you, Callum? Could you survive without work or would you just forever stay at uni? <laughs> nice dig there, George. Uh, <laughs> um, I don't think I could survive without work, because I think it would cause my mental health to deteriorate so much, not, as you say, almost having that, that something just to get out of bed for, you know, because... yeah. You can socialise as much as you want, but presumably your other friends haven't won the lottery unless you suddenly change friends, maybe, which would <laughs> be a shout. Uh, <laughs> of course I wouldn't change friends, George, of course. Yes, you would, Callum. Yes, you would. <laughs> um, but, you know, so so based upon that, I think it, it would just be too much to to not work at all. And I just would need to, to do something. But as you say, George, that definitely going traveling or, or voluntary work or voluntary travel, that sort of stuff. That's definitely something that I, I could look to do, but I still would need something to do. Cause even when you're traveling, you kind of, you know, you've got your itinerary maybe of your excursions or, or at least just like, I want to get to this place uh, rather than just, you know, sitting at home waking up every day and, and not really doing anything. <laughs> 
Um, right, okay, our next opinion comes in from Millie, and she says, I would give lots of money to charity because £30 million is more money than one person needs, but I would spread it out so that so charity payments over many years and over multiple charities so that it doesn't get used in the wrong way. Then I would also buy myself a house and move out from my house. Um, I wish I could say it was for a responsible reason, like so I could get on the property ladder or something like that. But really, I just want my own place uh, because I don't like living with my family anymore. Well, Callum, would you, uh, I mean, I know you're not currently living at home right now, but um, is that the reason that you would like to move out if you won the lottery? <laughs> no, no, it's not at all. My my mum and dad are big fans of this show, George, so, <laughs> so we, we can't. And my, my auntie and um, her boyfriend, loads of people, all my family's friend, uh, fans of it, so uh, I can't be dissing my family at all. Um, but but no, that wouldn't be the reason, but obviously there, there is that sense of independence and, and things like that, which I completely you know understand from millie uh, and and i also think that um you know her kind of uh inclination to if she's giving money to charity to give it to multiple charities and not in one lump sum i think you know that's a, a very valid thing but it's also you know just a very altruistic um way of looking at, at this winnings and it, it's very refreshing to see and i'd i'd wonder how many people would say they'd do that and i'm not saying millie would but there are probably some people that would say they would do that but then when it comes to it it's 30 million and they're maybe not going to give it to charity unfortunately but i i think i would give some to charity but maybe not as much as what uh, millie has suggested she would what did you think of that george well, I, I think it's a really lovely thing to uh, suggest that you do if you did win that amount of money. Um, but but also, personally, if I won that amount of money, I wouldn't necessarily go to seek to invest it in uh, or to give it to charities that I didn't know much about. I would more want to give it to my friends that I know would need the help um, and know that that could benefit from it. Um, and no, Callum, you're not one of them. So um, <laughs> <Tell me. laughs> I'll give you a fiver from it. Sure. Um, it's all right. Uh, but I, I definitely, I suppose in a way, you could describe charity in many different ways. So in a sense, giving to your friends and families is a way of charity. It is true. It is very true. Uh, moving on to our final opinion. I think it's a really good one, actually. It's from Alex. And he said, I would buy a business, but a strong business so that my investment could just make me more money and then create a fund to give other young people better opportunities and so that they can live their dream. That way, I'm doing something good, but also making more money so that I can have a really nice life for myself as well. I mean, another very altruistic response, George, isn't it? What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's always lovely when we see responses that are um, that don't just think about their their own causes, but also other people's. And, and I think Alex has got a great plan where you can invest in something that's not just going to benefit yourself, but benefit those that desperately need the help. And especially, I think, investment in young people to help them have better opportunities is a fantastic cause. So absolutely, Alex, I, I hope you do win the £30 million. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I completely um, agree with that. Um, just a quick question george yeah so obviously alex refers to buying a business a strong business i mean what yeah. what kind of business do you think would be a, a wise investment right now oh dear i mean gosh um i maybe uh i i would always like to buy like a football club or something like that because i feel like it's something that you can have a passion in and, and really yeah. train up and progress with and and you know we've seen that football companies can make some big bucks but what what would what kind of business would you uh, go into like pet shops or something 
<laughs> well, I mean, unless you're buying Margate FC or, or someone in, in the lower rungs of, of football, I don't think 30 million would get you uh, that, that far, <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, and I'm not sure they are a very wise investment, really. <laughs> um, but I think just anything to do with online, really, you know, it's obviously staying the obvious really but it's a massive growth market still and just spotting those opportunities the next uber the next amazon that sort of thing well there you go you didn't expect that tonight business advice from callum Gurr. <laughs> uh, right so remember we will be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show so make sure you're ready for that for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show but it is time for the first on break of this evening so we'll be back very soon Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So time to move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking the question, should the government have bailed out Thomas Cook? So the Civil Aviation Authority announced at 2 a.m. on last Monday morning that the world's oldest holiday company had gone into liquidation and that all flights and bookings had been cancelled. The collapse comes after talks failed to produce a funding lifeline for the ailing travel company, placing 9,000 British jobs at risk and triggering a huge repatriation effort to bring home 150,000 UK holidaymakers overseas, which is still ongoing. I'm sure I speak for both George and myself when I express our sympathies with all those affected by the closure of Thomas Cook, especially its staff who now face a very uncertain future. One potential funding lifeline that had been discussed prior to the collapse was a government bailout, wherein taxpayers' money would be used to rescue the firm and provide it with cash flow to meet its everyday running costs. Labour Shadow Chancellor John McDonnell supported these calls for such a bailout. The government never considered this a viable option, however, with Business Secretary Andrea Leadsom actually coming under fire this week for not personally meeting with Thomas Cook executives, despite the government being made aware of the travel company's financial issues several months prior to its collapse. George, in any case, do you think the government was wrong to not provide a financial bailout package for Thomas Cook? Well, uh, firstly, as kind of said, my wholehearted uh, sympathies are with all those that have been affected by um, this uh, Thomas Cook um, meltdown, as it were, and, and I wish all of those um, the best. But do I ultimately think that the government should have bailed out Thomas Cook? It might be an unpopular opinion, but from the evidence that I've looked at and, and records, I, I believe that they shouldn't have. Um, I think that, yes, uh, Thomas Cook were calling for £150 million, which would have cost the taxpayer. Um, it, but it wouldn't have just been £150 million. Um, the Transport Secretary, um, Grant Shapps, has, has clearly stated that even if they had paid that £150 million, it wouldn't have ended there. It would have just been a short-term fix, um, and nothing would have been able to have been fixed in the long term, and there would, no support would have been there. Um, and, and the company were then asking for £250 million, but overall, they actually needed around £900 million. Um, and on top of that, then they had their 
debts of 1.7 billion. Unfortunately, I believe the the company's framework and the, the way the company made its money was incorrect. The way they structured their holidays was um, not having uh, people pay for certain parts of their holiday until later on, and and that made Thomas Cook not be able to to pay the hotels on time and as such they accumulated a lot and lot of debt i always think it is absolutely a shame to see one of our longest um, stated travel agents go down but at the same time i don't think maybe it's right the government sets a precedence that if your company is failing we will just bail you out um i think this opens up an opportunity for other companies to to come into play um, and i hope it does as well um uh, but that is is my opinion, and I and I do stand by it. But Callum, what what do you think by this? Do you think the government was wrong not to um, approach the subject of of bailing them out? No, I think the government was absolutely right in this um, and at this time. Um, and I, I'm actually been quite disappointed, or no, not overly surprised, with Labour kind of trying to turn this into a political football um, yeah. when and and trying to. Um, I mean, the argument really that's been coming from Labour circles has been that the reason why the government hasn't decided to bail out Thomas Cook um, is because of a, a kind of ideological uh, opposition to state intervention in the markets. And whether or not that's completely true, I, I, I think is 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 not right anyway. Um, but e- even if that were the case, I think you've only just got to really look at you know, as as you said, George, all, all of the problems, unfortunately, that Thomas Cook was having to see that it was just not viable mm. for the government to step in. It would have been uh, never ending. And more than that, I think it would have set a precedent, a really bad precedent that the government will step in yeah. and help any failing business if it's a, a, a big business serving millions of of uk customers uh, and obviously you know for the people that have lost their job especially but the people who have l- lost some of their savings as such and spending on holidays and such it is a, a damn shame but ultimately i think sometimes you just have to let a, a failing business fail yeah. and it is sad as well because as you say it's the uh world's longest serving travel company or or something along those lines so, so obviously there is a really big tradition around thomas cook but I, I think also just one other thing to kind of compare it to something which obviously the government and a conservative government has bailed out in the past um banks as such um I think there's a, a massive difference in bailing out banks, unfortunately. I mean, I've argued against this being the case, but currently under the kind of system we have at the moment, we physically can't let banks go bust. It's one of the reasons why they do quite often rend, uh, lend rather recklessly um, yeah. because banks literally hold people's life savings there. Um, and if they go bust, then people lose their savings. And it has a knock on effect as well in that then people might be lose their confidence in banking as a whole. So then they say, well, right, I'm going to move my money, although it wasn't my bank that went bust. I don't want it to go bust next. So I'm going to move my my uh, money out of there. And suddenly the banks have got no money sort of thing. And then there's no lending. And, you know, the whole economy is essentially built around banks at the moment, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And so they really are too big to fail. Whereas Thomas Cook, 
it's a travel company at the end of the day. It's the, the, yes, it might in the short term have a bit of negative effect on people booking holidays, especially through through conventional travel agents. But ultimately, it's not going to put us into a recession or anything like that, no. whereas the banks possibly, possibly could. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I also think what's key around this is I think it would be a really different story if the government had done nothing about um, the people that were stranded and the people that have lost their jobs. Yeah. It's, it was made clear from day one that the government were very aware of the situation and that they um, had plans in place already. You know, they were, they sent out a lot of planes to make sure that people could get back home. The people that lost their jobs, they put systems in place with the DWP and job centres as well um, to make sure that they were supported and to make sure that those who were entitled to a redundancy package would get paid. Um, and, you know, I, I think also as well, it may be quite rude of me to say, but I think this just opens up the point that when people book on holiday, maybe it's best not to look for the cheapest deal, but to actually do some research around the uh, company that you're traveling with to make sure that their finances are okay or to make sure there's no you know big headlines saying that that company is in trouble because you could be at risk when you go abroad so i do believe that maybe when you look at going on holiday do a bit of background research on the company that you are traveling with yeah yeah although of course we probably should say that i think companies by their very nature if they're in financial difficulties can not always be the most transparent about it but uh, but you are right in that thomas cook there had been murmurs for, for for several months prior really uh, and and that does kind of bring me on to to a question george obviously as i mentioned in the introduction andrea ledson's come under fire because um you know the government was aware of the financial difficulties thomas cook were having but she didn't personally as a minister uh, meet thomas cook executives um and instead kind of delegated the whole situation really to um the Department for Trans Transport uh, instead. I mean, do, do you think that criticism is fair or is there a, a reason why it was A, delegated, but also that she didn't meet them personally? Um, I think, well, firstly, with Angela Litton is that um, she got her portfolio. She's only been in that what, that position for two months yeah. um and obviously the, as you said kind of in the introduction this has been going on for several months so it's quite a chunk to suddenly land on her desk and i think yeah, she yeah. made the right points into making sure that it went to the right department to make sure that people were going home getting home and everything and that is the the uh secretary of state for transport and the, the transport department and i and i and i do believe that andrew lesson was right not to meet um the business owners of, of thomas cook because i don't think it it would have got anywhere and i think it would possibly have given them false hope that the government were were going to do something so ultimately i stand by what andrew ledsam has done um do, do you think as you said this is unfortunately being played into a political football uh, like a political football from labor do you seriously think then if labor were in government they would actually bail out thomas cook or do you think that they, they are literally just trying to make a political point well, it's it's a it's an interesting one, really, because you would instinctively, I'd say, no, I can't see that they bail out what is a you know a, quite a capitalist company, if ever there was such yeah. a thing. Uh, obviously, it's a private company; it's not public sector or anything like that. It's not a cooperative, as far as I'm aware. Um, and 
really, who, who did Thomas Cook mainly serve? Probably more middle class customers than than working class customers. Yeah. So it, it's very strange to to think of of uh, Labour under Corbyn going in and rescuing Thomas Cook. So so I'd instinctively say no. But they, but maybe they would see it as a way of making it a cooperative or, or something like that, saying we'll give you money, but you have to give your your uh, workers shares or, or or something like that. I could see them using it in that way, but ultimately, I'm not sure if they're particularly serious about it unless they could get those kind of concessions. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I I totally agree with you on that point. Right then, uh, time to move on to a song break. Um, but remember to vote on this poll. Should the government have bailed out Thomas Cook? You can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before the break, we asked the question, should the government have bailed out Thomas Cook? And you guys have been voting away. So 23% of you said yes, the government should have done, compared to 77% of you that said no, they shouldn't. Now, George, I'm quite surprised by how high that yes vote is. Are you surprised by that? And do you have any explanation for why you think that is? No, I, I'm I'm personally not that surprised. I think it is the possibly the the Labour side um, of our listeners that that are particularly listening to Labour's political points of views, um, and I think Labour maybe have been, as we've said, trying to push this point as a political point. Yeah. Um, but the 77%, I'd say, are those that aren't believing what Labour are saying around it. Yeah, and it, the the other thing could be is obviously there have been quite a few people that have been personally affected and very true maybe does cloud your judgment a little bit and obviously we completely understand that yeah no absolutely right okay so let's move on to our third discussion of this evening and we're asking the question who should win the 2020 democrats nomination for u.s president so it has got to that time again when all eyes look towards america and who will be their next president last time the democrats decided to put their trust in hillary clinton and someone sorry and some would say uh, she wasn't the best choice, but she did win the popular vote during the presidential elections. But now the Democrats have five big main contenders hoping to put forward, be put forward as the Democratic candidate. But out of the candidates they have in the runnings, who would you choose out of the following options? So Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Kamala Harris, Andrew Yang or other and as always before we go to uh, our lovely listeners we have to ask my okay co-host um so mr callum gurr which out of those would you, would you pick uh well i am a proud member of the yang gang so i, I would definitely be picking really? andrew yang out wow. of those options yes wow. uh so so um i'm a big fan of andrew yang because he has proposed to establish a universal basic income which obviously a lot of our <laughs> listeners will know uh i'm i'm a big fan of universal basic income um but also i think he he's talking about the right things and and he's understanding why the democrats lost the last election in the first place obviously as you say they did win the popular vote but they didn't win the real big swing states 
because of the fact that they just didn't quite understand the kind of displacement and and mistrust that that people had in the prevailing economic policies, even under Obama as well, and and just the kind of consensus that that had emerged amongst the Democrats. They didn't understand that, and and Trump, rightly or wrongly did speak to those people in those crucial swing states and and he managed to get that and andrew yang i think does understand that a lot more so he he talks about these big tech issues like robotics and artificial intelligence and the kind of um next industrial revolution i think he says the fourth industrial revolution that that we're having at the moment which is displacing a lot of workers um and so I, i think because of that, Andrew Yang would be a great choice to be the Democrats' nomination because he can appeal to those voters that the Democrats lost um, between Obama and, and then, of course, Hillary Clinton running for president. Uh, and I think also with Andrew Yang, you know, he's he wants Medicare for all, which is amazing obviously there's a lot of other candidates that do want that as well although i would say that he does want to focus not just on physical health care but also kind of mental health care he's talked about marriage counseling and, and things like that as, as as part of that as an inclusive package um he, he's also in favor of the legalization of cannabis and uh, decriminalization of of some opioids um and also he's talked about voting reform so he wants to introduce a, a more preferential system uh, they call it in the states ranked choice voting um so so i'm very much in favor of, of andrew yang based upon that um but but george just before i because I, I have got obviously some notes for everyone else want to give everyone a bit of a chance to make their case but just before i i, I do that and you you do that as well um mm. who would you be wanting to back well um i Kind of going to, I mean, obviously, uh, a lot of these people that are, are going forward aren't really in my same political group um, yeah. and essentially don't measure up to my political beliefs quite a lot of the times. But reading a lot of the policies and reading a lot of what the people stand for, I think I'm going to actually stand um, next to Elizabeth Warren. Um, I think she's quite an interesting candidate. And I think a lot of her policy, policies that she wants to bring in are interesting you know she has a background in campaigning um inequality and i mean she was she was in that background for a very long time before she entered politics she's also got an idea of creating this millionaire tax where people that are worth a certain amount have to pay a higher percentage of tax which i think is pretty fair um and also a massive she's got an ideas of an overhaul of, of all different housing policies which i think are are actually really quite key in, in terms of getting young people on the ladder in terms of making sure that not too many people will have second homes and in the recent debates that they've had i think she performed reasonably well um from what i've read she's will have a lot of backers from the, the people that are potentially backing Bernie Sanders or Sanders. Um, and and I do believe that she could take quite a good fight to Donald Trump. And, and secondly, maybe it is wrong of me to even say this, but at the same time, I would absolutely love to see a female president of the United States of America. Um, and, I, and I do believe that if I was to vote for a uh, Democrat candidate, then I would um, back Warren. Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously that would be a really watershed moment, really, to have a have a female president of the United States. Yeah. Um, 
but one question I do have about about Warren is yeah. that she obviously, as you said, she she wants to do this this two um, percent wealth tax and and some other kind of policies um, that maybe aren't so great for the financial sector, as it were, which obviously, in my opinion, is a good thing. But you you know, um, but that does make her naturally not as liked by the rich Democrats donors that they've courted in the past yeah do you do you think that will damage her campaign because she's not gonna have these rich donors or do you think she can make it up in with um less wealthy donors as it were maybe contributing a bit less but more people i i think you've you've hit the nail on the head there i think um essentially yeah um she might lose the backing of the really wealthy um donors that, that that could support her campaign but ultimately i think in terms of the mass of people which is what she needs to get a vote i think she will have the support there um and i think there are enough people now in america that are fed up with the rich getting richer um that i believe that she could have that real tremendous support from the people that are on lower incomes and and i do genuinely believe that and i, and I think she brings some interesting styles to um the way she debates and argues as well i, I really really do um a quick question on yang um yeah for you is that you know he is absolutely quite a large outsider and and reading a lot of things around him um the majority of sites that i've looked at titled can he win the nomination um a lot of them are saying highly unlikely um (laughs) he's probably one of the least um well-known characters going for this but do you think that's something that might actually go in his favor in this i i think if he yeah it it can go in his favor certainly especially when Joe Biden's considered the front runner at the moment. Obviously, he's a very well-known name and he's seen very much as Democrats' establishment, as it were. Um, and I think it's interesting as well to to have a look at what Donald Trump himself has said. And he said the biggest threat that the Democrats could pose is somebody that no one has ever heard of. And obviously, Andrew Yang is that person, whereas Joe Biden, everyone's heard of him. Everyone knows kind of what what his policies are and the fact he's had quite a few gaffes in the past and, and things like that um that mean people just see him as a continuation of that obama clinton era of, of politics as yeah. it were and of economic policy so i think andrew yang yes it's an outside shot um but i think if we start to see more democrats pull out of the race as we get closer towards 2020 and, and the actual election, um, I, I think that then he'll have more chance in the debates to actually say the things that I think are very sensible that he's saying and that need to be said. Uh, and then he could go forward, as it were. Yeah. Um, just to bring in, obviously, some of the other candidates, we've uh, alluded to Joe Biden. Uh, so he's ran for president twice before. So once in 1988 uh, and once in 2008, when, of course, Barack Obama secured the Democrats nomination and went on to win the presidency. Um, and, and one thing I'd say about that is in, in both of those runs, he's, he's shown himself to be culpable to making a mistake or two. Uh, So in 1988, he had to actually withdraw from the race because he was found to have plagiarised a speech by former Labour leader Neil Kinnock. So so that's not obviously brilliant. And in 2008, he withdrew because ultimately he didn't get enough support. 
uh, because Clinton and Obama were doing relatively well in that race. But he did also say a, a few interesting things during the campaign, one of which was that Barack Obama was the first mainstream Amer African American who is articulate and bright and clean and a nice looking guy, which obviously sounds like a compliment at first, but it also sounds mildly racist, to be honest yeah. with you. Um, but Joe Biden, of, of course, there are some strengths to him. Um, he, he was the vice president and, under Obama, and he's obviously, he, he's got a long and extensive experience, which would set him in, in, in good stead to, to understand what needs to be done in, in the White House and things like that. And of course, he's standing on a platform to restore America's standing on the global stage and actually strengthen economic protections for low-income workers um, in industries like manufacturing and fast food. So he's sort of a, a more moderate um, candidate, I'd say, than, than any of the others in the race, as it were. Um, is there any other yeah. candidates you wanted to talk through, George? I mean, definitely, um, I think Harris, yeah, she's she's an interesting uh, person. She's definitely someone that that's come from a, a different background to everyone else. Um, she's a, a woman um, who's from a diff different ethnicity, and and I think she's she's she brings different arguments, and, and definitely, um, she, I think she's kind of like the opposite in a way to to Hillary Clinton in a way. Um, but but she definitely yeah. has a um, she in the last recent debate she had a very 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 strong performance yeah well and, and she's she's a, a new intake of democrats so she yeah. joined the senate in 20 or after 2016 um so, so obviously that's a positive as well because maybe she's not seen as so establishment and i think she's come out with some interesting policies so so one of them being the rent relief act which would provide a refundable tax credit for renters who pay more than 30 percent of their income on rent so if you think about what a seismic change that would make to uh, people on a, on a lower income. Uh, obviously, I think that's a, a, a great policy. Uh, and I, I, I think based upon a lot of what the commentators are saying and what a lot of Americans are saying, maybe Kamala Harris brings a bit more of that star power and history making potential to the race yeah. than what some of the other Democrats do. Potentially, yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. So, Callum, um, which one of these candidates do you think is going to come out on top? Um, oh, I, I, I'm hoping because I don't think Andrew Yang will get it, but I think Elizabeth Warren will. Um, and I will come back to you with a question, but I'm just going to very quickly just talk through Bernie, Bernie Sanders because obviously we haven't really talked about him, um, and just to uh, obviously allow some fairness in this. Uh, so obviously he's a self-described democratic socialist. Uh, he's brought through a lot of progressive proposals in the last uh, presidential nomination campaign. He ultimately lost out, but he did win 23 states and 46% uh, of elected delegates. And, and you would say that with the fact that Democrats have moved much more uh, left wing, as it were, in, in more British terms, I suppose, um, it seems more likely he's going to do even better this time. Um, but also, you know, he, he's talked about Medicare for all, free college tuition and curtailing the influence of billionaires. And, and actually, a lot of his proposals in, in a British point of view, they're, they're probably not that much further left than the Conservative Party. So it is a rather strange thing, American politics. Um, George, which one do you think is going to come on top? 
Well, I'm going to go for uh, the lovely Elizabeth Warren, of course. Yes. Yeah. Okay, right. So it is now time for the next song break. And remember to vote on this question. Who should win the 2020 uh, Democrats nomination for US president? And the options are Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, uh, Kamala Harris, Andrew Young, Yang, and other. And remember, do that wizard rated code UK for us. Listen, we'll be back before you know it. should win the 2020 Democrats nomination for US president. And as always, you guys have been voting and you've been voting away and the results have just come in. So Joe Biden got 27 percent. Elizabeth Warren got 36 percent. Get in. Bernie Sanders (laughs) got 21 percent. Kamala Harris got 12 percent. Andrew Yang got 3 percent. And um, (laughs) other got 1 percent. Well, Callum, I'm guessing you're not too surprised by those results. Uh I'm surprised by how low Yang's come, but um, keep, a wa- keep a watch out, listeners. You'll 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 see him in the White House very soon. There you go. <laughs> uh, right, guess. moving on to our fourth discussion of this evening, uh, and it's a bit of a lighter note to finish this evening's show. So we're asking the question: Are you aiming to go on holiday in 2020? So before we get to whether the uh, to be discussed community are planning a holiday in 2020, are you yourself, George? Um, I am actually, believe it or not. Are um, you? Uh, yeah, I am. I'm going away with a couple of friends um, to oh, uh, Falariki um, in Greece. <laughs> and um, I'm also going to Cyprus. I'm also going to Le Mans. And I'm going to Silverstone. So <laughs> I'm going quite a few of those. Yeah, I know. It's incredible. Um, but I mean, we. I was going to invite you, Callum, but then I realised no one really liked you so oh charming it's really yeah. really it, uplifting show for me tonight it was after, that, it was, my, <laughs> after it was my that, candidate for president doesn't well, get in as well god there, there you go i mean to, tom and i actually organized the whole thing um <laughs> so so it's it's quite a quite a good system we've got going on there um and actually so far i have actually paid for you to come callum so you do owe me that money um I, you do owe me yeah. money don't you yes yeah. I, I do still owe you quite a bit of money but callum do uh are you going on holiday next year <laughs> shockingly it's a real shock but i am going on holiday next year wow yes. uh i am going to falaraki with some mates as well i mean fancy really? that it's, wow. it's really really okay. strange um but other than that i don't think i'm gonna go on any other holidays oh. um maybe maybe a little um short break within the uk um yeah. but i, mean, I- I think maybe we'll uh, we'll go down to uh, Southampton to see uh, Kenneford if uh, Kenneford's listening. We're still waiting for the invite. Um, so maybe go down to Southampton will be nice. Yeah, yeah, and and of course, um, looking ahead to to twenty twenty one, we uh, might go to New Zealand to see Matt, or Australia to see Liam. Who knows? You know, I, I'll uh, I'll start saving now. <laughs> but you've got loads of money you just said about all the holidays you're going on this year cancel one of them so you can go new zealand in 2021 when i can go no fair enough fair enough right then time to uh hear what our listeners or plans are or whether they're aiming to go on holiday in 2020 and you can vote on that question at wizradio.co.uk forward slash listen and we'll be back very soon
Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before the break, we ask the question, are you aiming to go on holiday in 2020? And you guys have been voting away and 81% of you have said yes, you are. Compared to 19% of you that have said, unfortunately, no, you're not. It's a bit um, sad. Is that the right word? It sounds a bit patronising, doesn't it, George? But obviously, yeah. but may- maybe they've got other other plans that they're, they're doing instead finance and yeah. study or, or things like that so uh, enjoy whatever you're doing listeners <laughs> that was patronizing that was uh, yeah <laughs> two weeks in a row i think i've done that uh anyway uh we've reached the time <laughs> to end this evening's show so thanks very much for listening to to be discussed with cup and Gert. we hope you've enjoyed this episode so as mentioned earlier for the first segment of next week's show we'd like to hear your thoughts on the following question which i am really looking forward to have you ever had a paranormal or supernatural experience you could do that by sending us an email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through twitter that's at wizardradio so remember that question is have you ever had a paranormal or supernatural experience Ooh, scary and, <laughs> wow. and we're I know. And we're looking forward to hearing your opinions next week. But it is now time for Callum and I to be leaving. So as always, I have been the the non-patronising George Lawrence Cup. And I've been the very patronising Callum <laughs> Gurr. Thanks very much for listening, everyone. We'll be back next week for another episode of To Be Discussed. Goodbye, guys. Ciao for now. <laughs> <laughs>